Please sit comfortably. And this talk today is called Broken Spiderwebs. And a uh, shift of metaphors here from whirlpools and stagnant waters to spiderwebs. The, um, the inspiration for this title comes from um, a daily walk I do with my dog. We have a, um, a reserve and a bush walking track just a few doors from down we are and I take my dog for a walk there every morning. And just about every morning there are spider webs across the path and, uh, and I have to stumble through them you know, to get, get along the path. And I always feel very apologetic to the spiders because they put so much work into, you know, creating these beautiful webs. They've probably spent all night doing it, you know. And uh, they're just so intricate and they've got a beautiful little leaf in the middle of it, you know, um, where they probably live, maybe, and they come out to get their, their prey. And I, I bow when I, before, I, before I go through, but it probably doesn't make any difference to them. I've just ruined a whole night's work, you know. And uh, their livelihood, you know, their, their, their livelihood actually depends on, their survival depends on this web working, you know, to get their food to, to survive and to, and to feed their young and so on. So it's a big deal for them. But I, I go through every, every, every morning, you know, and I stumble through them. And um, I suppose to a spider, that's um, life as it is, you know. And you're just there cruising along, you know, sitting in the, in the middle of your web, everything's fine, and then crash. You know, this great lumbering thing goes through and ruins your house. And um, when you reflect on these, these spider webs, they're so beautiful. And, uh, and sometimes when the, when the sunlight in the morning is on the right angle and you look up through the valley um, and amongst the trees, they're not just on the track, but if you get the right angle, you actually see hundreds of spider's webs um, between the bushes and they're all facing the same way. Somehow they know that the wind or whatever brings the, the prey into the, into the trap. And, and, uh, and there's even little baby webs. So you get a big web with the, with the mother's father spider and then there's another little web behind it with a tiny little spider inside it as well. And it's kind of like, it's some kind of like the sprit sail behind the mainsail on a boat, like this big sail, and then there's a little one there. These little babies learning how to, to weave these webs as well. It's like this incredible intelligence in their DNA that, um, that directs them and instructs them how to do this. But I break through their webs every morning. And if we, if we bring that same analogy to metaphor to a human life, um, and one of the basic things we need to do as well is to survive. You know, we need to eat and we need shelter. You know, we need to protect ourselves from um, predators and harm and so on. And so we, we do the equivalent of, of spinning our webs as well and we we get our houses and we build our houses and we have our families and, and most of us don't directly get our food. We, we, we're at a sort of second tier from that. You know, we don't, usually we don't grow our food and, and hunt for it, but we go out to work so that food can be provided. And that, that 
um, fulfills a basic survival need that we have, just like the spiders. And we also weave other webs too. We, we weave family webs, extended family webs, friendship webs, community webs. That's all very functional as well. Um, we become connected in. We network. Mm -hmm. Networking's good. But in some point in our life, um, there's, other, there's other webs that we weave. And, and we weave webs of dreams. And who knows when it starts or how it starts. But at some point in our life, we get beyond our basic survival needs. We've got enough food in our belly and we're safe and so on. And then we start to wonder about life. And we look up at the stars in the night time and we see the, the vastness of the universe and we're struck by ideas of infinity, you know, and endlessness, eternity, and how small a speck I am on this little small speck whizzing through the universe. And we start to wonder. And then we can look within and we start to wonder, who am I? Hmm? Who am I? Now, if we were to just ask those questions as a statement of wonder and not get ne neurotic about it, then it all would be fine. They would just be experience of, of awe and wonder. But usually we don't do that. Um, and what happens is that those questions are asked not just with natural childlike wonder and awe, but they're flavoured by anxiety and dread. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? What am I going to be? Who am I? So instead of being able to just stay with the, the empty nature of those questions, it's like then we've got to fill it in. We've got to fill in the emptiness. Who am I? Who am I? What am I? Who am I going to be? What I'm going to be in life. What does this mean in this vast universe mm -hmm. that I'm here in space and time and that one day I'm going to die? Mm -hmm. Anxiety, dread starts to seep in and then it flavours our life. <clears throat> so we all become caught in the web of our self-centred dream. Mm -hmm. and the silvery, sticky threads that we weave that thread, that, that web with, are our thoughts and emotions. You know? And we create this tangle. And then what happens, the mind spins the web, um, and then what happens is the snarer becomes the snared. We're caught in our web, we're caught in our self-centred dream. Now, the word karma in Buddhism, the word karma is really just simply referring to the way that we actually, how we've actually, what we've done to actually spin that web and create that web and the circumstances of our life. So karma, in a sense, is all of the 
the decisions that we, conscious decisions that we make in our life to do this or to do that, whatever, and, as, and there's a consequence which comes from making those decisions. Sometimes good decisions, sometimes really poor decisions, sometimes confused decisions. But karma is the web that we spin. And the nature of being caught in the self-centred dream is we don't do the sensible thing and just be still within it to begin with. We struggle and we struggle. And the more that we struggle, the more we get stuck in the stickiness of the web. And the more we try to fight our way out of it, just the stickier it becomes. And that's kind of like the negative karma that we create in our life. We're desperately trying to escape, and yet we can't escape. Not if we struggle anyway. So, some of us in our lives become aware of this tangled mess that we've got ourselves stuck in. And, and if we see into it clearly, we stop blaming others and we go, no, my, my own mind has created this mess. My own mind has created this trap that I've set for myself that I've become ensnared in. So what can I do about it? Oh, I read a few Zen books. Right? Maybe I can come along to Zen and maybe I can find a way out of this mess, you know, if I, if I practice Zen. So we start sitting daily, and then um, if we're encouraged enough, or we're suffering enough maybe, then we come along to session. And session is an interesting experience, isn't it? Because um, as Trogdom Trumper said, and I've been repeating this phrase um, a lot lately because it's so blunt and I like it, he said the ego is trying to become spiritual. So the ego has still got this little dream that it spins, oh, I'll do session and that'll get me out of the web. Right. Then I'll be liberated and released, you know. And, and so we try hard and we sit as hard as we can. And, and often after the first few sessions, we, we might have a, a calmness, but we go, hmm, still stuck in the same web. Mm. It's still there. And then what the good thing is about session, just to, just to really describe it simply what the, the point of it is, is that you take up this still position and you focus your mind and you're quiet and you drop into the present moment or you try and turn up to the present moment. Really, you're like, you become like the tangled prey in the web, you know, instead of trying to struggle to get free and you've realised that doesn't work, you go, okay, well, I'll just sit still in this tangle and see what happens because there's nothing else I can do. All my other attempts just make it worse. So that is what the nature of doing this like for an extended period of time is. It's like, okay, well, just sit still and stop struggling for a while and see what happens. And then Zen teachers over the years have also um, developed these uh, nasty little devices called koans. You know, whereas if you sit still but your mind, your intellect keeps spinning on, you know, um, thinking it kind of can solve it with your intellect, well, you, you then take up a koan. And you, and you realise your intellect's not going to solve that one. 
just completely stopped up. So you stop there as well. Your mind is stopped from going forward trying to problem solve. Can't, it can't get its way out of the web through that process either. Right? And, um, and you might have the um, fortunate experience of being stuck on a koan for a long time. Mm -hmm. It does you the world of good, I know, from personal experience. Um, and so the way that session works, if I could make a distinction here, there, it, it leads you to, in a sense, it leads you to give up. It leads you to really giving up trying to get out of the, the tangle that you're in, that you've created. Mm -hmm. But it's a kind of a relative surrender. When we go through session and, and training, it's like we realise, like most people realise about two days into session, there's no point struggling to be here, um, so I'll just give up the struggle. And then as soon as you, we all know that to one degree from our own experience, you struggle the first few days and it's like something happens, something clicks and you give up the struggle. And it's not so hard anymore. That's how session works. It's like a microcosm of our life. Uh, it's like it's putting our, our own life out there in our families and work and everything and everyday life and it's kind of like building up the intensity, you know, so we see exactly what's going on very clearly. Um, but we struggle in our everyday life and we struggle in here until we something clicks uh, and it drops. Then you relax and you're relaxed and upright and still and relatively you, you can surrender to the experience of session. You're not going anywhere for seven days, six days just here, and you've committed to just turning up to the present moment, whatever it brings, and somehow you can settle into that. And that's good, that, that training is good. Um, but eventually, uh, there's, that's relative surrender. Um, in, there's another step, and that's um, absolute surrender. Soen Roshi, who was one of Robert Aitken's teachers in Hawaii, and he was also a teacher to Joko as well. He was in a very eccentric, lively little monk. And when he lived in Hawaii with the Aitkens, he used to laugh his head off when he used to go past roads where the sign said dead end. Right? <laughs> that's, that's in practice, right there, dead end. <laughs> so, you think you're going down a thoroughfare that's going to take you somewhere and you come to a cul-de-sac, boom, can't go anywhere, right? And that's where Zen practice ultimately leads you. You come to a cul-de-sac. You've learnt relative surrender and you've developed some calm and equanimity in, in your life, but you keep going into it and you realise the ego cannot become spiritual. The ego's got to give up becoming spiritual. It can't become spiritual. It's like a paradox. It's idiocy. The ego cannot become spiritual. But you realise that behind all of your hard work and everything, that's been there. It's still spinning this little web of what liberation will be when you're out of the web. But it's, you're still in the web, creating it. 
And there's a lot of koans that um, encapsulate this. One that comes to mind is that, that um, famous koan, um, you who sit on the top of a hundred foot pole, uh, take a step and show your body in the ten directions. So you can do a lot of work on yourself, refine your experience, um, step by step go up the ladder until you can, you can sit with a, a fair degree of equanimity up there. But that's still the relative step-by-step surrender practice. The absolute surrender, take a step, jump. Mm -hmm. Let go of everything you're holding on to, just jump. Mm -hmm. Like someone who is jumping out of an aeroplane for the first time with a parachute, just jump. And, And all of your instincts of survival go, no, die. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Jump. And then the experience of people who have jumped, as they tell us, is that they realise there's no ground to crash into. They fall into emptiness, but that emptiness supports them and embraces them. They're not going to die. But it almost feels like we are going to die. So we go through our step-by-step practice of learning to surrender but ultimately, at some point, um, there, there comes a point when we realise there's just another step we have to take, and that's the step of absolute surrender. That's where the ego just gives up all dreaming that they're going to control the process. You're in the web. No, you're just in the sticky web of your own creation, and that's it. What are you going to do? Now, through um, a bit of synchronicity, while I was um, um, writing this or thinking this um, Dharma talk out, um, I got an email from um, an old friend of mine. And um, this old friend is someone who I hadn't seen for a while, but he's someone who is a really good person with a good heart and he made a very poor error of judgement some years ago um, and got into a lot of trouble and experienced a lot of humiliation and loss of reputation. And he recently did a meditation retreat, I think his first one. Anyway, some insight out of that. And he quoted Nietzsche um, um, and from a book called, um, I think it's Amari Fate, The Love of Faith and the Eternal Return. And he quotes Nietzsche as saying, can you will the moments, can you will these moments when you feel weak, when you feel humiliated, or despised. Can you will these again infinitely? You must love these moments when you are most humiliated, when you are most sick, downtrodden. Hmm. Quite a big ask. Hmm? And he said those words resonated with something that I remember Joko saying. 
I'm not quite sure which words he's referring to, but they would resonate with my teacher's teaching. And uh, on the issue of humiliation, I remember there was an Australian Zen student shared with me month, once when she had a, a Dyson with Joko and, and asked her, what's enlightenment? And Joko said, when you can no longer be humiliated. Because if you really surrender to that, that hit to the self, mm -hmm. uh, if you truly absolutely surrender to it, then there's no self to be humiliated. That's the end of humiliation, in a way. But it's because it's only a self that can be humiliated. So, really, the mantra of session the message of, of session all the time is surrender, surrender, surrender. You see this embodied in many of the koans. That's why they're there. That's why they're, they've been written down from centuries ago to keep us on track and to inform us what true practice is. One such koan is Bodhidharma puts the mind to rest. So Bodhidharma, the first um, founder of Zen in China, is sitting in his cave doing zazen. And the, um, the second found, the person who becomes the second founding teacher, Ikai, comes along and says to Bodhidharma, um, my mind is, you know, restless, can you please help me put my mind to rest. And Bodhidharma says, well, if you bring your mind to me, I will put it at rest. <laughs> oh. And um, now, in the koan, it appears as though um, Ikai responds back immediately. But in my mind, um, he takes that as a koan and he goes away and works on it for years and years. And he searches for his mind over years and years and years. Just like I did for five years doing philosophy of mind at Macquarie University. <laughs> Never found the mind. And he, and he comes back, in my mind, comes back years and years later and says, I've been searching for my mind all of this time and I can't find it anywhere. And Bodhidharma says, there, I put your mind to rest. So that, that koan embodies inquiry, struggle, searching, dead end, giving up, total surrender, realisation. That's how it works. So, Like the broken spider's web, you know, we're kind of like these spiders that I run into every morning. We've all built our little web of dreams and we've built it, we've spun it with our mind and we've spun it with our thoughts and our emotions 
this silvery, sticky substance that we're stuck with him. And if we practice with surrender, we'll be ready for the moment when life bumbles through our carefully structured web like me stumbling through every morning, this this stumbling human idiot that goes through and breaks the web every morning. Mm -hmm. Life will break our web. Whatever that might be that breaks it, I don't know. Um, But our practice makes us ready for that to happen.